My name is Rachel Taylor, and about three years ago, I was sitting there looking over my business finances, and I looked at my husband and I said, I think something's wrong. So I messaged my bookkeeper, and she messaged me back and said she was too sick to talk to me. So I just started crying out to God. I showed up for work and uh, waited, and she didn't come. And I get a message from my office manager, and she said, well, she didn't come in, but she sent her family in to confess. We got a really big problem. Something the substantial can result in losing the business, losing my license for a long time, as well as uh, there can be criminal um, charges. We contacted the state and the police and let them know what had happened. There was a moment that I was, I was crying and I was just like, this just feels so overwhelming. And I said, it would just be so nice if like God sent me a sign that everything was gonna be okay. That was like super obvious. Like I mean, something in the mail, like money in the mail or something. And we were just kind of laughing. And, and then it was funny because he went and checked the mail. He had like a Puget Sound Energy refund check. It wasn't anything substantial, but because of the comment we had just made, I just remember thinking like, God, you're so big. I um, had to, to save the business. How am I ever gonna be able to come up with not only be able to repay and bring this back down debt-wise, but to come up with what's missing? And really early on, I remember God saying, I am still in control of your finances, and you exercise the same faith that I've given you before in finances, even though this seems difference. I mean, through the whole process, there was just miracle upon miracle that would come about, like just random things that would just be financial miracles that just sustained us and provided for us during those times. And we were headed to trial, the date was scheduled, and then COVID happened. It was interesting because also because of COVID indicated that because of the way that everything's going with the court system, that they would like to try to settle outside of court. I get a call from my attorney and he's like, they came back with uh, an agreement that's the agreement that you had presented from the very beginning. I would have been grateful. I mean, above grateful for just that outcome, but I never anticipated the extra that he threw in. We, some circumstances occurred where we needed to move. Our savings was gone. All of a sudden something came up in town and it was everything, not even just for the business that I would have been looking for, but those dreams that I had for the other stuff that I had been wanting to do. My brother's a loan officer and he all of a sudden reminded me that during COVID some changes with the VA loans had happened. And so we were doing the math and because the business would be like renting a space there and had an apartment. We start doing the math and the monthly payment was less than, our contribution was less than what we paid at our other house. And then it got even better. Like as we go through the process, because I'm a real estate agent representing myself, we start to do the, the numbers and realize that the commission that I would get for representing myself ends up paying off our debt. And it's like miraculously starting over. We moved into the house, we've been there hardly any time at all. 
And then all of a sudden we get a call <laughs> um, that there was little animals that um, had been rescued from the fires and needed a home. And we'd always talked about how someday we wanted a little mini farm. And all of a sudden, here we are, two cows, a big turkey, three pigs, seven chickens, and two ducks later. God didn't just come in and fulfill his promise to me. He sat there and took me on a journey that transformed my faith. God has just taken everything that felt like it was the worst and just taken it and given me all of the best. And I couldn't have even imagined being here today. Man, thank you, Rachel. That was our Thanksgiving, uh, my story, and we wanted it to play for this weekend as well. And I love her thankful spirit. Um, and the moral of the story is if you will prevail uh, when things are unfair, then God will bless you with a mini farm. And how great is that? <laughs> I actually went over to their house after praying with them and standing with them through all this, and I got to see those baby cows and feed them. And the cool part about that is you can feed the cows and have an experience and go home. And they have to take care of those cows every single day. So kind of a, just a great story. Uh, the message today is, is called Prevailing Joy. And there's something about prevailing and not giving up and staying the course and standing firm. And God even says that he will sustain you. And I think sometimes we just need to say, God, I'd love to have perfect victory and everything go the way I want. But if it can't go that way, then Lord, please sustain me in what I'm walking through. And he does that. So before we get uh, too far down the road, Brooke and I have to stop and pause because we're so excited that Pastor Lauren announced Friday that she is pregnant and she and Anthony are having a kid. And so we're so excited about this. Can you just imagine a mini Lauren walking around this place toddling? It's going to be too smiley, the and best. It's too much cheer. I mean, that's just going to be incredible. So be, we'll, we'll be lining up saying, can we babysit uh, for that kid? So we're super excited for those guys and, and what's coming up. And then I'm super excited to have Brooke here speaking with me today. So thank you. Um, if you don't know Brooke, she's our youth pastor. And um, Brooke has a teaching gift and um, I've seen it several times among the youth and other things that we've done. And I was like, Brooke, we got to get you up on a Sunday morning. So thanks for helping out here. But what I want to say to you in front of all these people and people online around the world is the reality is um, Brooke is called by God. And if you ever doubt that, come talk to me. Um, because she didn't push herself forward. She wasn't saying, I have these gifts. I should be doing this. It was quite the opposite. And that God was kind of grabbing you and saying, step forward, step forward. I have this uh, calling on your life. And so as, um, as I began to see it, others recognized that. I just was very, very abundantly clear that you have a, a gift from God, a call from God. And uh, so it's going to be fun for me to cheer you on as these years go by and see everything that God has for you in your future. So. Yeah, thank you so much. And I remember it was like a year ago this month where you pulled me into your office and <laughs> yes. you were like, hey, uh, you want to come talk to me for a second? And you get pulled up into the lead pastor's office. You're like, what did you're I do trouble. wrong? <laughs> Am I in trouble? And you're like, do you know what I want to talk to you about? And I was like, I have absolutely no idea. I uh, had no idea that it would God would lead it and we'd end up here. Yeah. But it's been an incredible journey. Yeah. yeah. Learning to pastor in a pandemic. You're going to say, when I was called to the ministry, there was this crazy pandemic going on. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for the timing of that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it has forced you to grow, and it's been a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. Well, let's jump right into the message. Yeah, so I want to jump right into chap uh, verse 20. 
part B and into 21. But Paul is speaking and he says, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And he goes on and he says, for me, to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Living means living for Christ and dying is even better. I think it's important for us to understand that Paul doesn't have a, he doesn't have a death wish here. He's not saying, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to, to, to live, but dying would be, it'd be great too. He was actually, um, Paul lived basically day to day. He, underwent so many trials and uh, so many circumstances of being persecuted for the faith, for his obedience to Jesus in a place that he never asked to be, but he just followed after God and he ended up there. And so Paul didn't really know when the end of his life was going to come. He was put on trial time after time, and he didn't know if today would be his last day. And so ultimately, he was okay with that. And we, we see that here in this verse. He says, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Uh, what's significant here is Paul had found his contentment in Christ. Mm-hmm. Paul knew who he belonged to. And Paul also knew where his true home was. He knew that his home was ultimately in heaven and on earth. He was passing through. He was a witness for Christ. And so he knew that if he was to spend the rest of his life here, if he was to continue on living uh, in a prison cell, chained up, wherever it may be, it was for the glory of Christ, and he had joy in that. But he also knew if tomorrow, the end of his life came, he had joy as well because he knew that he would be in heaven where his soul ultimately longed to be. And I don't know about you, but I hope that Paul's testimony of his life, I want, I want that testimony to be of my life as well, that when I get to the end, uh, that no matter what circumstance that I walk through or face, sorrow or joy, uh, trial or no trial, that I had contentment in Christ and I had confidence and joy in, in every single circumstance. Yeah. I mean, for Paul to be writing this from a prison in Rome to the church in, in Philippi, to the believers there, and for Paul to, to, to say to them, hey, listen, um, I'm, I'm excited about heaven. Like, I kind of, sometimes I wonder about the church. Like, are people like, well, I hope heaven's real. Because Paul's not hoping heaven's real. Paul knows heaven is real. He has been so transformed by the Savior that he's like, I know heaven's real, and I'm looking forward to that. Amen? And I just think there's something powerful about Paul. There, everybody's kind of like, this guy's not consumed with the trial. He's more consumed with his testimony. He doesn't know if he's going to be befriended or if he's going to be beheaded. And, and either way, he's not overly concerned. He's just, it's just an incredible different way to live. Whether I live or whether I die, I want my, my testimony, my life to honor God. Listen, for those who uh, live for this world, um, for those who don't believe in God and this world is all there is, then of course, there's money, there's pleasure, there's friendships, you know, just get what you can. But for those of us who have decided, no, there's more to this life than just this world that we see, our values are different. They really are. You live differently because you actually follow Jesus and you look forward to heaven. And for the believer, dying is not a tragedy like it is for the world. For the believer, dying is not, not the tragedy. Dying means going home to heaven. I mean, it's not something you cause or you look forward to, but let's be clear, for the believer, dying is not a tragedy. It's actually the realization of the hope that you've lived with in your life. And so fascinating, um, at, at times, Paul, Paul knew that, or he felt that death was imminent. And there's other times in Paul's life where he was like, I think God wants me to go on and live quite a bit longer. 
And if you've had a, a, you know, a life-threatening disease or if you're in your 90s, you know what that's like. Like, I don't know how many more days I have left. And sometimes I feel like my life is short. And other times I feel like I have a long time. But either way, I'm not consumed with my circumstances or my trial or the world. I'm concerned about my testimony. And that's what Paul decided what was important. Paul decided this, that he was a citizen of heaven. Isn't that great? Like, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. And I love that. But I'm also a citizen of heaven, and I love that even more. Paul says this in verse 27. He says, listen, above all else, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the good news about Christ. Do you realize that people are watching you? That kids are watching you? That unbelievers are watching you? That people are watching the way you live under today's circumstances? And if you are known to follow Jesus, then people are getting their understanding of what a Christ follower is by watching the way you handle your life today. Isn't that kind of amazing? Um, To live as a citizen of heaven, not just a person living for this world. Yeah, that's convicting. And I think that just kind of gives us a a glimpse of how we should be living day to day with, hey, I know, my, I know what my feelings are, but I also know that I'm representing Jesus and I'm representing his kingdom. And so how I respond to this goes greater than what I can see now. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on and he says, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting for the faith, which is the good News. You know, I think Paul was writing to the 2020 church when, yeah. he, when he wrote this. He says, standing together with one spirit, one heart, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You know, the enemy is tirelessly working to tear us apart. Yeah. He's doing absolutely everything he can in his power right now to tear the church apart. And I don't know about you, but if you just look around at our world today, you can see that the enemy is doing everything he can to tear the church apart. It's, it's do I, am I right over here? Is my political view better than yours? Or is wearing masks really right? Or uh, I need to be right. And we've kind of turned against each other. And instead of fighting with one another, we're now fighting against one another. And so what Paul is saying is, he's saying, hey, I don't know when I'm going to come see you, but my hope is that you are fighting together, that you're standing as one. We need to realize that ultimately Jesus is coming back for his bride, Mm -hmm. for his church Mm -hmm. as one. And we need to do our part as believers to make sure that we are doing everything in our our power uh, to stand with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, I think Paul had gone through quite a few arguments with people. And Paul knew the heart of humans, that humans are divided and don't get along real easily, right? I mean, that's just truth. Like we have our opinions and we have our personalities and we have our wants and preferences and things that we think. And sometimes it's hard for us to lay those things down. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, church, be of one spirit, be of one purpose, one mind, one unity. And watch out for the devil's loving to pick you off and get you to, to major on the minors rather on the fact this. We believe that Jesus is Lord. And on on this fact, we will base our lives. How incredible is that? Um, The reality is I was reading an article this week, and this guy, man, he really discouraged me. He said, Pastor, if you think that uh, division among humans, uh, if you think the mask thing caused division, then just wait till the vaccination comes out. You've got more division to put up with. And I was like, seriously? 
Like I'm just so, like, can we just all be of one heart and one mind and one focus as Jesus is Lord? Can we figure that out, how to do that? This last year or so, I just feel like the Lord has just been saying, in fact, before the pandemic hit, this concept of, you know, like, good friends can disagree and still be good friends. And Jesus' people can disagree graciously and kindly. It doesn't have to be either you agree with me or I boycott your life, right? It can be like we actually have some maturity in our lives. And so I hope that we can be that, what, what Paul says, that one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith. He goes into this next verse, and this really hits four things really powerfully. I want to uh, read it with you on the screen. Paul says, listen, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and thinking of others as better than yourselves. Paul hits these four things just, just straight on. And, and it appears that there are members of the Philippians church that have a need to be recognized, um, maybe a need to, um, some of them are kind of causing some discord by their actions and their attitudes. So they want to kind of have some distinction, some recognition to their lives. And listen, it's easy for the church then and the church today to have some ambition for God but to also have some of our selfish ambition mixed up with our ambition for God. Oh no, pastor, that's not me. That's other people, right? Sometimes we have, I mean, honestly, we're humans. We have selfish ambitions in our lives that we deal with on a daily basis. And Paul's looking at the church going, hey, make sure that your ambition for Christ is your ambition for the Lord and you don't have a bunch of selfish ambition mixed in with your ambition for God. Yeah, I think America does a really good job of demonstrating that on Black Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so ambition. I'm here to shop for others. Oh, yeah. but get out of my way, sucker. Right? Move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and then he goes on and he says that, be humble. Think of, thinking of yourselves better, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I think, uh, as I was just thinking about this and just processing, I think some of the greatest examples we have of people who think of others better than themselves are missionaries. Uh, missionaries, they go and they give up absolutely everything for the sake of people so that other people can hear about the gospel. And they live lives that we would probably prefer not to live and do things and go places that we would probably prefer not to go. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Cambodia on a trip and they took us out to this village that was on top of the water. And I had never seen anything like this before in my life, but basically they had built the, their houses on top of the water and the kids really didn't have any place to play because a lot of their houses were actually getting to the point where they were starting, uh, the water was rising up to the ground level. And so you'd actually see a lot of the families actually sitting on their roof and there was just they would paddle back to the village, which would take hours, and um, they lived in this really rural place. And there were these missionaries that went out there, and they actually built a school for the kids. And it, had it not been for them building this school for the kids, they would never had had a place to run. Uh, they actually built a basketball court, and they taught them about Jesus. But had it not been for the missionaries doing this and seeking the interests of the people rather than themselves, these kids would never have heard about Jesus and never had really a place to even, even play. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking missionaries are the example of people who look out for others' interests instead of their own. And really heroes. And in our church, we have been a missions-minded church for so long. Um, just recently this year, we've actually had our missions giving us fallen off a bit. Um, during the pandemic, and um, we're, we're 
actually in that place where we're saying, God, bring that missions funding back because we want to make sure that we can support every missionary we've committed to support. It's my hope that when this pandemic is done, we look at all of our missionaries and we say, we never missed a support payment for any single one of you. And I, I hope that we can do that. I'm looking forward to that. So Paul says this, he says, listen, you must uh, have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Check, got that done, all right, all time. Like, how many times has that like, verse intimidated me? Like, same attitude as Jesus, that's kind of a high bar to set. How about I just try to be like Russell Wilson or you know, somebody who's got a real positive spirit, like to have the same attitude as Jesus. That's a challenge to live up to that, that challenge from Paul. And he goes on to say this, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Giving up your privileges and your rights because you follow after Jesus. If we're going to be like our Savior, then we're going to do things that he did. Our attitude is going to be like his. I still can't fathom Jesus saying, you know what? Go ahead, take my life. Go ahead and punch me. Put a bag over my head. Hit me. Mock me. Put a crown of thorns on my head as if I was a, a common criminal and laugh at me. I can't believe what Jesus was willing to give up for you. And I just wonder what you're willing to give up for him. Like what rights and what privileges and, and things that you think you should have are you willing to give up for him? The last service we were worshiping, and I was just struck by this thought. I was like, you know, when March came, I was like, okay, it's just going to be a month. We can hang on, right? And I was like, I'm never going to like wear a mask to church. And I'm certainly never going to wear a mask and sing with a mask on because that's ridiculous. You know, kind of a freedom fighter, anti-government little bit of spirit in me. And this last service, I worshiped the Lord the whole time and I wore a mask the whole time. And I was just overcome with the thought, Lord, it is not about my comforts, my privileges, my rights, my preferences, my whatever. I can worship you like this. And, and I'm not making any statement other than it was just powerful to me to realize what matters right now is that he is worshiped. And sometimes I think that we have to stop and go, what do I need to, to sacrifice to be like Jesus? What privileges and rights do I need to give up uh, not because I'm going to be a doormat. I'm, I'm concerned about religious freedom. But I just want to follow after Jesus. And, and if he was willing to humble himself, um, then I want to be able to humble myself as well. Yeah, and I think as you being a lead pastor in 2020, you have graciously led this church into what really matters. Like what, what are we really fighting for here and Paul says something about this in First Corinthians. He says, everything is lawful, but that doesn't mean everything is permissible. It doesn't mean just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it mm -hmm. or that I need to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and just like you were mentioning, just because you're allowed to do something doesn't mean that you, you should. And sometimes following Jesus means making sacrifices. And sometimes I think we forget that, um, especially with you have to be very careful around the lines of what is the American spirit and what is the Christ-like spirit mm -hmm. and, and not get the two interchanged. Yeah, that is hard. Really, um, somebody said it like this, um, you know, have you ever had God humble you? And probably most of us would say, God's had to humble me a few times in my life. And, and they said, you know, honestly, it's better to humble yourself than have to have God come along and humble you. Um, and so I think there's something about this text where Paul's saying, if Christ humbled himself and gave up what he gave up for, for us, then maybe we need to humble ourselves as well and live humble lives. 
I want to give you a couple things that are really important here uh, for us, really opportunities for us to think about, okay, how can I live a, a life that honors the Lord in, and live a life of humility? And these are not going to be easy things for us to do. Okay, the first one is this, is be the first person to say, I'm sorry. Be the first person to say, I'm sorry. I, I've kind of challenged you recently, get really good, like become a world-class apologizer. Anybody there? Like some of us, it's just so hard to get those words out that I'm sorry. Especially when it's kind of, well, it's your fault and it's my fault and it's actually more your fault. So if anybody should be the first to apologize, it's you. Right? In a marriage or something like that. If I let you win, you know, this might go on for the next 60 years. You've been married a year, yeah, right? Can't let them win. Can't let them win. And in a work relationship or... So it's hard to do that. But here's the reality. When you're the first person to apologize, even if you're 20% in the wrong... Just go apologize for the 20%. Because something good happens when we have the strength and the power to choose to take responsibility for what's on our end. It's like submission. People think, well, if you submit, you're weak. Actually, people who submit have the, the strong power to choose to submit. And when I apologize to a coworker or one of my kids or my wife, it means that I have the power to choose to go apologize, and it crucifies my flesh, and it humbles me to be the first one to apologize. I think that's something that's hard for us to do, and I hope that we get better and better at it. The second one is this, forget your position. Like, just, you know, it doesn't have to be about your title, your role, your position, you got there first, or anything like that. Um, the reality is this, that we humble ourselves, and we're all humans, right? Sometimes we get this mentality, well, that's beneath that person. They're too important for that. Um, I was going to share this story later, but I did too early last service. So I'm going to do it again. So um, our church, a number of years ago, we bought a house on the cul-de-sac next door. And we said, let's remodel the house and let's drop the rent to half of the normal rent price. And let's let missionaries live there for really cheap. And we'll bless missionaries and they'll be a part of our church. And so we had this incredible uh, first family come and live there. The Hennessy family, some of you might remember them. And it was so cool to see our church give and donate. The freezer was packed and the beds were made and there was gifts on every bed for all the kids. It was just love missionary kids and, and pastor's kids. So we did this all great thing. And then after the service, we said, hey, anybody who wants to go walk through that house and the missionaries are moving in tomorrow. So we all walked through and celebrated. There, there must have been like 100 people in this little three-bedroom house right, you know, right there. But what happened that day, um, something kind of strange happened to me is when you walked into the garage, you turned the corner, you walked into the garage, into the kitchen, and it was really one of those sharp kind of U-turns that, you know, if you could bump into somebody. And right at that spot, of all spots, a special needs woman from our church was walking through. And, um, you know, because of her build and because of her mental and physical makeup, I don't know if she can even reach down and tie her own shoes. And she met me right at that spot, and she said, she kind of mumbled, and it took me a while to understand what she was saying, but she said, she said, Pastor Peter, will you help me tie my shoes? And with 100 people going in and out and there's no room to walk past, it was kind of an awkward moment. And so I bent down there to tie this woman's shoes. She was middle-aged. I was 24 and I was a young, cocky pastor. Just be honest. I was still young and cocky. And I felt kind of awkward, people bumping into me and bending down here and trying to tie her shoes. And then in that moment of being down on my knees in this garage, tying this woman's shoes who couldn't tie her shoes for herself, Something good happened in that situation. I remember saying, this is what you're called to. You're called to serve people. This is, this is better than the sermon you preached this week. 
And you're down on your knees helping this woman who can't do this for herself to tie her shoes. And it's crucifying your flesh. You feel awkward as people are trying to get around you. But it's bringing humility out in you. And this is going to serve you well in your life if you can have this spirit as time goes by. Um, Nothing is beneath you, your title, your youth. Nothing is somehow um, too big in order to humble yourself. Yeah, I love that. Uh, It goes into our next one of choose to do something that others see as beneath you. I think a lot of times we think, oh, no, I don't I don't need to do that. That's that's below my pay grade, I'm going to let somebody else, or uh, I would look super funny if I ended up doing this, or what would other people think if they see me doing this? And just like that illustration that you, you gave, it's, a, it's an illustration of Jesus and how Jesus served people and what he did for people. Uh, if we just think about the last night that he spent on earth before he was crucified, he was washing disciples' feet. He was serving and loving and giving. And uh, in youth, we, we say this, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And I, I think that is so true. It's yeah, um, good. We, as leaders, we need to be the best servers. Mm-hmm. And I think often we think leadership starts with a title, but leadership, it starts with, with serving people and putting people first. And as believers, we have to be willing to do anything that furthers the mission of God. And sometimes that means doing things that aren't fun or aren't uh, necessarily, it doesn't look good. It's not glamorous. But if we're going to partner with one another and further the kingdom of God, sometimes you just got to be willing to do it, get on the bus and say, here we go. We're going to do whatever it takes and be a can-do church. Can I, can I share a quick story? Yeah. So our founding pastor, Dan Seekers, I want to tell a great story about him. Um, pastor Dan, whenever he would walk on this campus, it didn't matter if it was a weekday or a Sunday morning, he was always picking up trash. And he just set a great example. Like everywhere he went, he was a lead pastor, and he'd walk around, and he'd just pick up garbage, and he'd walk in the door, and he'd throw it away. Well, I followed his leadership, and so I just started picking up trash every morning. So I'll go around here like on a Wednesday when I walk over here to pray or something. I'll pick up garbage, and I walk in the office. And there was like, every time you walk in the building, you have some trash with you because the neighbors around here always leave trash out. And so there was one Sunday morning. It was this awesome day, and there was, you know, people kind of partied around the building or something. And so I picked up some trash, and I walked in on a Sunday morning to this church right here at these main doors. And I walked in, and I had a can of Miller Lite in my hand. And the greeter's like, good morning, pastor. <laughs> I said, rough night, you know. And it was just, it was just, but there's just something good about just saying, hey, this is what we do because we serve. Yeah, so. yeah that's so good. Uh, the next one is choose character over competition. Um, this is something Hutton and I are working on. Um, he's competitive, and I think I'm just an honorary wife. So I, I don't know if I actually like to win or if I'm just trying to get underneath his skin, still trying to figure that out. But (laughs) Hutton is good at everything that he does. He does not, he doesn't lose. He just doesn't. Um, He's just good at everything. And uh, so a lot of times when we're playing games, we have to like keep ourselves in check. I have to keep myself in check, actually. And say, okay, I know this is just a game. We're just competing, but I'm going to choose to put us over this game and we're going to go home and have a great night rather than fight. Um, But as as a church, when we go back to what Paul was saying about standing together, um, I know a lot of us, especially women, but men struggle with this as well, with, with 
comparison of, oh, they are really good at this and I need to be better at this, or, or she looks really good, or he's really got it all together, he's got a better job, or she's in a better place, and we're always comparing or always have a temptation to compare ourselves. And it kind of turns into a competition of, oh, I have to one-up them, I have to do better, I have to excel here, I have to. And so instead of looking at that person in love, we're now looking at them with a competitive spirit in mind of, oh, now, and so a bitterness actually kind of starts to arise in us of, oh, I have to do better. And if we're going to be the church, we have to understand that we're not competing with one another. If you just take a look around this room, these are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. They are for you, and we need to be for one another. So good. A, a good church, a strong and a healthy church is one that looks at other people people's strengths and their gifts and and if they win it's a win for you yeah. if I don't need to have the spotlight if they excel in the gift that God has given them it is a win and it is a it is a good thing and so choose character over competition they you don't need to have the win um it's okay to let them have that and excel because if you had all the gifts you would be you'd be a, too too strong too much yeah I tried being the Holy Spirit one time. It didn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, and it, this goes into John chapter 3. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 30, John the baptizer, he was coming. He baptized Jesus, and he had a following. He, had, he was well known by all of these people that he was baptizing and mm -hmm. being a witness of Jesus to. And as soon as Jesus was baptized and he started his ministry, Jesus started baptizing people and John's disciples came up and they were like, hey, John, what's happening? We're losing people. They're going to Jesus. And I just kind of imagine John kind of chuckling and saying, you know, this is a good thing. This is the reason I'm here. Yeah. It was never about me. It was always about Jesus. It actually says in that verse that his joy was fulfilled. John knew his place, he knew his identity, and it, he didn't have to have the greater following to understand his purpose. And so as believers, um, it says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We also know this verse as he must increase, and I must decrease. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's the, the cry of our heart, that Jesus, I want you to be the greater in me. I don't even need to be seen. I don't even need to have the following. I don't even need to be known. But Jesus, if you are the greater one in me, that is how I know I will be winning as a believer in Christ. If people look at me and they no longer see myself, they no longer see my pride, they no longer see my gifts, they just see you, I know I will be winning. And I, as a church, I hope that we are known for that, that our goal and our aim in life is just to decrease as Jesus increases. And I think that just kind of comes down to mm -hmm. like a daily prayer of when you wake up in the morning, Jesus, help me to decrease today. Mm -hmm. God, help me empty me of myself and would you fill me up with you so that other people can be pointed back to you and you can get your rightful glory. Yeah, I think you just hit on it because most of us wouldn't say I'm full of myself, but if there is you know, a partial or, you know, significant amount of self inside of me, and then there's not room for Jesus to really pour all of himself into me. So there is something about if he's going to increase, then I've got to decrease. It just, we can't have, you know, Jesus fully leading and me fully leading. It's got to be one or the other. And somebody said, let someone else shine today. 
in humility, let someone else shine today. And I hope the person that's shining in your life is Jesus. Lord, I need to humble myself, not clamor for my rights, not my privileges, not my preferences. But Lord, I want to lay down my life, be humble, like the Apostle Paul, and even more so, like Jesus. Can we take a few minutes and just bow our heads today? I'm just hoping the Holy Spirit just kind of moves in this place and online and just, he can speak to you on your living room couch. He can speak to you in the sanctuary, wherever you are. Maybe you're not the first person to apologize. It just doesn't come that easily to you. Maybe today the Lord is saying, I know your life is hard. But your life is better when you look out for the interests of others. Would you humble yourself so that God doesn't have to? Would you forget your position? Jesus was the son of God. And even he... God about his position, gave up his privilege, his rights. It was absolutely incredible. Lord, help us not to compete. Lord, we have ambition for you, but we also have some, some selfish ambition in our lives. Lord, there's people that are hurting in our world, and I pray that you help us to bend down and tie their shoes, to be a blessing everywhere we go. The Thurston County would say, you know, the people that follow Jesus in this town, they're different. So Lord, help us to live out these words. Don't be selfish. And don't try to impress others. But be humble and think of others as better than yourselves.
stand with me as we close in prayer. Lord, there are places where you, you can move more effectively because you're welcome, you're wanted. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be a move of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, help us to live as citizens of heaven. Lord, help us to live lives of humility and kindness, treating others as better than ourselves. Lord, help us to lay down some of our things that we think we must have and be like Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would become greater and greater and that we would decrease as you increase in our lives. God, we need you. Lord, we need you. And we acknowledge that need for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, this Friday night from 6 to 8, if you want to come walk through the building, it'll be, uh, be a crazy, beautiful Christmas. They're not going to be like 2020 Christmas trees. They're going to be really pretty Christmas trees, all right? If you want to come take a picture and just walk through and just say hi to a few people, maybe drive around, look at some lights, Friday night, 6 to 8, it's available for you, all right? God bless you. Have a great week.